20 by 14 Reflections on Studying Architecture Abroad The Podcast Les Carbusier Can you please spell it? Usually the best time to go abroad in the curriculum of a school of architecture is either the third or the fourth year. Students are by then 20 or 21 for the most part, and in general, they are architecturally literate, although still undercooked as designers. This makes up a good mix, which lends itself very well to such a formative experience. A few years ago, during a lecture in a third year studio, I won't reveal where and for which school, I, I quoted Le Corbusier's famous five points of architecture. From the back of the classroom, at least they were listening back there, someone asked me to spell the name of the Swiss architect. Speaking of experience and education abroad, Le Corbusier himself always considered his trip to Italy and specifically to Firenze, a fundamental step in his architectural training. This experience changed my life, he used to say for all his life. Hi to all and welcome to this new episode of 20 by 14, the podcast. In front of me, I have the pleasure of uh, uh, sharing some time with Francisco Sanin, who is a very good friend of mine and is uh, the architect and the educator who taught me a lot in my first years of teaching American students. Buonasera, Francisco. Buonasera a te, Franco. Nice to <laughs> be with you today. Yes, and welcome to this uh, podcast. Francisco Sanini is the first uh, person that I invited at a jury in my classes, because at the time he was teaching, he was leading the Syracuse University program, master program here in, uh, in Firenze. And we actually had... Uh, uh, Alessandra uses a guest who has been one of your students that I tutored during your master, which is a nice way, yes, of reconnecting uh, dots. I invited uh, that very first time, I think it was in 2003, I invited him in my studio because uh, uh, Francisco is one of the person that I know that deals more with being abroad uh, ever. Uh, Francisco is Colombian. Uh, studied in uh, UK. He's a teacher in America. He's fluent uh, in Italian. He lived a lot of years here uh, in Italy. Uh, he practiced architecture in uh, Korea and uh, he introduced me to a lot of Korean things. So my interest in having Francisco as a guest is in uh, sharing with us some of these uh, experiences. Francisco, can you please uh, be a, a little bit more precise about your intri super intricate background? <laughs> sure, Frank. I'll, I'll start by making a small uh, clarification. I, my studies in architecture, my formal studies were only done in Colombia. I, I didn't study in England. I, in fact, that this might be a, a, an interesting way to, to start the conversation because while we, I was studying in Colombia, uh, became increasingly interested and excited about what was happening in Europe at the time, mostly in terms of uh, intellectual life. You know, it was the time when people like Foucault and Derrida and others were coming up, let's say, at least 
in our radar in, in Colombia at a time when there were a lot of students' movements. And uh, so it was an exciting time, but I, of course, I came from a school that was very professional. So uh, my thesis was the first time a thesis was done in our school that was theoretical. And the school was gracious enough to say, okay, uh, if you have a, a project at, attached with it, we'll send the theoretical part to the philosophy department. And if they think it's okay, then you can graduate. So they did that and the philosophy department very generously said, well, for an architect, that's okay. He's, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and I graduated. Uh, and that was kind of the sparkle for me to move to Europe to see, because I had assumed that everybody in every corner in Europe would be talking about all these intellectuals. Um, so that brought us first to Spain, where uh, I, was, I had no real no interest, no real commitment to study in Europe uh, formally. Um, just to forward a little bit, uh, once I started um, working and doing things, I made a commitment that I wouldn't study in Europe or everywhere else outside of Colombia. Because one of my first experiences were uh, not necessarily racism, but a sort of ignorance that how could you know what you know if you were studying Colombia, right? Uh, so there was this kind of preconception that if I knew anything that was worth contributing, we probably would have been learned in a kind of European or American institution. So I made a commitment that I wouldn't do that. Um, because I, I, I didn't want to be legitimized, let's say, that way. So anyway, so when, once going back, um, my attitude was that I would go into, at the time, on a phone book and start calling architects. So I would go and call Oriol Boigas or, you know, whoever uh, in Barcelona, and I would tell them, you know, I'm a Colombian architect, I'm going around, I really want to know what's going on. And to my surprise, at least at the time, they were incredibly generous and open. So I start creating this amazing, uh, let's say, not necessarily network, but connection of people. So the idea of traveling and, and, and taking the opportunity to be in the place, to both experience the place, but also to connect with the people who were doing important things, to participate in events, to understand the kind of discourse that was taking place at the time, uh, became a modus operandi for me. So I started doing that in Madrid. I did that in, in Barcelona. And then later on, when I arrived in London, did the same thing. And that's how I got to meet uh, Leon Creer, with whom I began teaching, uh, sorry, began working with. Through him, I moved to uh, Belgium to the to work with our archives of modern architecture. In, in Belgium, went back to London to work with Leo again. At that time, I met Saha Hadid, who invited me to some of her juries and uh, ended up asking me to replace her for a few months in her unit teaching. So that was my first teaching job, was, was replacing Saha. And that started a sort of nomadic life that brought me back to the States, back to Belgium. Uh, back to England to run uh, now my own unit in London at the Architectural Association for several years. Those were really uh, critical years in my formation. You know, the, the, the kind of atmosphere at the AA was really uh, amazing uh, intellectually and in all kind of crazy sort of ways. Uh, so the rest is a very long story. So I'll stop there. So we, we don't use the whole 15 minutes <laughs> on this story. 
Yeah, and uh, of course, you only made me more curious about knowing. So maybe I will ask you just one more question about uh, about this. Can you tell me a little bit uh, about uh, your first time in Florence? Because when I first met you, you were coordinating the the study abroad program of Syracuse University here in Florence. So do you remember your first time? Well, the first time actually was very many, many years ago when uh, we were still uh, working, when I first started working in London and we came to visit an old friend of mine from Colombia who lived in, in who had, was Italian and then we came to visit him and we came to visit Florence and it was uh, an amazing experience, of course, discovering, seeing in the flesh all these amazing places. But you're right, my, our, when we first met, it was the my first time teaching in Florence. And I, one of the things I remember at the time that I wasn't sure how to take students around, and I discovered through my readings that there were, um, I was looking at Corbusier's uh, publication on the Viaggio in Toscana, his travels in Toscana when he was very young. And by chance, I started reading also Mornings in Florence. Uh, Raskin. By Raskin, uh, yes, thank you. And what I realized is that actually Le Corbusier had been reading Raskin and following Raskin's itinerary through Florence. So Raskin would have things like, you go into Santa Croce, go into the, you know, uh, whatever, northeast corner, stay there for a few minutes until your eyes get accustomed to the light. And then you begin to appreciate Giotto's uh, colors in this or that way. Of course, this was before you could put a coin and light the picture. Uh, and you could tell that Le Corbusier was following the book. So for me, there was an amazing sense of time uh, and continuity you know, that, that places that in a way is, uh, invite the imagination and, and different ways of reading. So reading uh, Florence through Ruskin, uh, Le Corbusier reading Florence through Ruskin, Ruskin reading through Giotto, me, you know, how many other generations probably would have done the same. It gave a sense of both continuity, but also that there wasn't uh, always something new to be discovered by in, in your own itinerary, you know, as Benjamin said, like how to get lost in a place became really important, you know, how to discover something. So that, that, was, that was probably one of the images that uh, inspired me to then uh, invite the students to design and construct their own journeys through cities to discover with this other, uh, let's say, motto that I would always tell them that, I believe it's also Benjamin, I'm not sure anymore, but that says that cities become invisible very quickly because in the first two weeks, everything is new. And then the, our human need to get accustomed begins to make things invisible because they become familiar. So how to maintain those first, this, those, that first kind of capacity to surprise yourself, to see the things that are new and keep that sense of wonder was also important to me. In, uh, in many pages of the book, uh, we speak of this, uh, this kind of invisibility. And uh, we also speak about the fact that uh, uh, the, the education of an architect never ends. So I mm. understand your specification that you never studied abroad. But mm. in reality, I think uh, 
you are always you are always <laughs> studying uh, yeah. abroad and you have studied abroad many uh, many times and uh, the other nice thing is that uh, the chapter that i present with your uh, with your presence is titled le corbusier can you can you please spell it franco which is something that uh, that's a funny question that i had from a, from a student and in the chapter we speak of that uh, of those two trips le corbusier took to florence uh, one mm -hmm. following the Bedecker and uh, uh, John Ruskin's uh, mm -hmm. thing, and uh, so I I really appreciate your uh, uh, your contribution to this. In your capacities of uh, an educator dealing with students outside their field of comfort, I think that uh, to be thought by a Colombian architect who traveled through Europe can be uncomfortable even for an American student inside an American institution. Um, what do you think about the necessity or the importance of an international component in the curriculum of a student of architecture as of today? I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. Uh... I mean, it really is a complex issue because, as you know, the, the, the Grand Tour in the 19th century was part of any, especially nobleman or woman education to, uh, to get familiar with, let's say, classical antiquity. And probably that was still part of the agenda when many Americans' programs started to settle down in, in Italy to have programs abroad, which most of them did the first the first programs abroad had been were in Italy. It was, of course, at the time of postmodernism and, you know, in a way, the recovery of history and being able to be in the place where it all happened. Um, and I, but I think it would be a mistake to uh, to limit the experience abroad uh, as some kind of historic education. I think it is a really uh, a moment of discovering the relativity of your own position in a way when you leave your home what you're uh, used to and are forced to confront other you know other customs other ways of doing things other ways of, of acting other cultural values the first thing that happens is you have to question your own and i think that's an incredibly moment incredible moment of education for a young person or for an old person right you begin to understand that not everybody shakes hands in the same way, that physical distance might be different, that attitudes and values are, are, are kind of relatively un, unconstructed. Uh, for me, that's probably the most, the, the most basic moment of understanding that. Um, I think understanding um, other possibilities of what a city or what architecture can be or can do is also uh, an incredibly important uh, moment of discovery for, for an architect, especially, you know, in this case, in your book from students coming from the United States to Europe, they, they encounter a way of making cities and a way of enjoying or suffering them as the case might be, uh, <laughs> that is very different, right? I think it's also important to break from the kind of bubble that used to be the model of American uh, universities where you, be, you come as an observer 
uh, uh, and really engage not only in the you know the traditional wine tasting thing, but also in the intellectual traditions that are part of the country that are you know to understand that questions are being asked that might be very differently asked for multiple reasons. What from architects or intellectuals about uh, architecture in Italy that might, they might be asked in the States and some of them are similar, right? I also think that the, the role of a, of a program abroad is not only in terms of students, but I think it's institutional. And that's probably something that is less um, recognized is the presence of universities on institutions that can actually amplify their own intellectual repertoire by being in touch with other traditions, you know, to take that, that element. Uh, uh, and I'm not talking about just exchange program, but really engaging in a, in a dynamic way with multiple traditions. So when I was, for instance, the director of the architectural program here, uh, as you might remember, I organized a series of what we call transnational dialogues. So we would use Florence and this kind of magnetic power to bring people from Korea, from different parts of Europe, from Latin America. Uh, Mayor Fajardo from Colombia was here, people from all over the place. So it was not only about uh, you know being Italian <laughs> or being in Italy, but being in Italy meant being in the world uh, and being able to engage with all these sort of, let's say, networks that intersect uh, at multiple levels in today's world. And I don't think that's, uh, that's value enough, right? To be abroad is not simply to be in a place, but it's to be in many other places at the same time. So, so many people that intersect, but that's part of this idea of engagement, not, not just being an observer, but actually actively engaging with, with the place. Yes, I completely agree with you. And, uh, and I was sure of this because uh, this has been uh, uh, the main topic of many discussions uh, uh, between us uh, in the in the last 20 years. And I'm perfectly aligned with you in saying that uh, uh, study abroad is becoming necessary not to visit the gem of the, of the Renaissance, but uh, to go outside the field of comfort. And when you are 21, 22, or 23, is not a time to be comfortable. And uh, comfort is worshipped too much in, uh, in academic, in the development of academic programs. And I think that dealing with discomfort and dealing with uh, things that you don't understand, being them building languages or behaviors is fundamental right. and is a component that if we don't uh, integrate it inside the curriculum now there is a huge risk to have it lost forever because uh, youtube zoom is fighting this kind we are comfortable always yeah. and, but uh, i think that discomfort is is a clue of uh, of education is a is a center of education, is a pivotal uh, mm. moment. We can't start to be comfortable when we are 20. Francisco, I'm uh, incredibly thankful for your presence in this uh, podcast, which is uh, a seal in our uh, relationship, let's say, professional relationship through, uh, through the years. And it means a lot to me. So I, I appreciate incredibly your presence here. And uh, I don't want to steal you any more time. 
and uh, I hope to see you in person uh, soon enough. And I would like to to thank you for these words. Thank you, thank Francisco. You. Thank you and congratulations on the book. Yeah, absolutely fascinating subject that hasn't been really explored in, in, in a way that is uh, rigorous and, and provocative at the same time and that begins to also chart a way forward. So thanks a lot. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you.